Hey, this is Brian Johnson with Mid-City Vineyard Church. Mid-City Vineyard is located in the heart of New Orleans, Louisiana on Canal Street. We worship on Saturday nights at 6 o'clock and would love to have you anytime. You can learn a little bit more about us on Facebook, Mid-City Vineyard, Instagram, at Mid-City Vineyard, and online, midcityvineyard.org. This past week, we kicked off a new series called Living Into Freedom, and in part one, we talk about this understanding of grace, grace as the empowering presence of God in us that empowers us to be and to do everything that God has called us to be and to do. Ultimately, everything in our life is grace. And so we're looking forward to this series and hopefully really finding some freedom, some interior freedom uh, for our lives and in our lives. So we hope you enjoy. Much peace to you. John chapter 10, verse 10, this is Jesus speaking, and he says, Now let me set this before you as plainly as I can. If a person climbs over or through the fence of a sheep pen, instead of going through the gate, you know that person is up to no good. They're a sheep rustler. The shepherd walks right up to the gate. The gatekeeper opens the gate to him, and the sheep recognize the shepherd's voice. He calls his own sheep by name. And he leads them, and they follow because they are familiar with his voice. They won't follow a stranger's voice, but will scatter because they aren't used to the sound of it. And Jesus told this simple story, but they had no idea what he was talking about. So he tried it again. He said, listen, I'll I'll try this again. I'll be a little bit more explicit. He says, I am the gate for the sheep. All uh, All the others are up to no good. They're sheep stealers, all of them. But the sheep didn't listen to them. I am the gate. And anyone who goes through me will be cared for, will freely go in and will freely go out and find pasture. A thief will come to steal and to kill and destroy those sheep. But I come so that they can have real life, eternal life, more life, better life than they ever dreamed of. Now, when Jesus was was teaching uh, and he was using this particular illustration, what would happen was the shepherds would bring their sheep into the pen in the evening and, and they would you know it would be a large pen and sometimes multiple shepherds would bring their sheep and they would they would graze together in that particular pen and then the shepherd would go to the gatekeeper where the where the the one who would open up the gate and would would say you know I, I'm, I'm here to, to take my sheep and he would open the gate and the shepherd would literally speak to his sheep and the sheep didn't really recognize their name it wasn't like Mary and Sally, and Frida, come on. And they were like, oh, that was my name. I'm, I'd stop. No, it was more like they recognized the voice of the shepherd. Oh, I recognize that voice. And those sheep would literally go and follow that shepherd. And they would trust that shepherd, that shepherd to take them to green pastures, literally, to, to flowing water where they could graze and where they could be cared for. That shepherd would be the one that would fend off dangerous beasts bears and coyotes and those kinds of things. That shepherd would do those things and take care of those sheep. And Jesus says the same is true for how I desire to take care of you. I have actually come so that you can experience life, real life, true life, more life, better life. So in the year 2000, one of my very first acts as a young pastor Uh, was to actually 
perform or conduct or, or do the funeral of a friend of mine. Uh, a buddy of mine who, uh, at the age of 20, and so, you know, I mean, I was only 23 at the time, and my buddy who was 20 years old had, had flipped his truck and was killed in a one-car car accident at the age of 20. And so his family called me, and they asked me if I would do the funeral. And they gave me uh, much liberty. They didn't have much of a religious background. And they said, listen, you just, you just do what you want to do and just follow the, the, the lead of, of God and, and, and say and pray whatever you want to say and pray. The only thing that we ask is that you would read this poem, his favorite poem. And so I did as I stood before all the my friends, my high school friends, my college friends, uh, all of his family, all these folks that we had in common. And I, I did the funeral, but then I, I got to this part where I was asked to read this poem, and I felt like I needed to do it, since that was their one request. And the poem, you might be very familiar with it, but it was uh, penned by Wernest, uh, Wernest, <laughs> William Ernest is his name, or you can call him Wernest. William Ernest Henley in 1875. You might be familiar with this poem. It's called Invictus. Out of the night that covers me, black as the pit from pole to pole, I thank whatever gods may be for my unconquerable soul. In the fell clutch of circumstance, I've not winced nor cried aloud. Under the bludgeonings of chance, my head is bloody but unbowed. Beyond this place of wrath and tears looms but the horror of the shade. And yet the menace of the years finds and shall find me unafraid. It matters not how straight the gate, how charged with punishments the scroll. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. So I had spoken at this funeral and I had said much about the beauty and the grace and the mercy of God. God's desire for us to, to, to surrender and to submit our lives to, to Him. My friend had actually done this. My friend uh, was also not, not, did not have much of a religious background. But over the years that we had gotten to know each other, uh, my friend had experienced much of the presence of God. And in some way, shape, or form, I think that my friend was, was pursuing this divine being. But it, it was rather deflating for me to, to say the things that I had to say and to be asked to be closed with that, with that uh, poem. Because that poem screams much of what our society and much of what humanity in general is looking for. It's this idea of freedom. It's this idea of I am free, so much to the point that I don't bow to any authority. There is no constraint or restraint on me or on my soul. I am the captain of my own soul. I am the one, the master of my own fate. That's what it screams for us. And I would suggest, I think you would agree, that freedom is good. And that freedom is something that we all want. And I would go so far as to suggest that freedom is something that Jesus desperately desires for us. But there is a huge difference between what we understand as followers of the resurrected Jesus and what it means to be free versus what 
humanity, what our society says freedom is. Remember John 10.10, Jesus says what? I have come, I've literally come, that you could have life and that you would have free life, eternal life, real life, better life. In Galatians chapter 5, St. Paul says it like this. It is Jesus Christ who has set us free. So take your stand. Don't ever let anyone put a harness of slavery on you again. And then again, St. Paul says in 2 Corinthians, he says, now listen, the Lord is the Spirit, and wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Now, have you ever been in a position like I have, where you've thought to yourself, you know, what I really need is this. If I only had this, or if I only had that, then I would finally, I'd be able to breathe, I'd be free, whatever it is. And have you ever been in that situation only to get what you thought you needed and then realize that you weren't really free? I don't know if that's ever happened to you. It has happened to me. If I only had that, then I would feel free. It would be like the chains that hold my soul down would be broken off of me. You know, if I just didn't have that boss, but I had a different boss, only to realize that I got a new boss, and the new boss is just like what? <laughs> Always. Freedom's kind of a funny thing. Because in order to attain it, there are certain things that we have to actually press into and understand. Especially when it comes to what I think Jesus is speaking of, Christian freedom. Christian freedom comes from a place, and, and this, is the, this is the gist of it. Christian freedom comes from a place that has nothing to do with our circumstances. Christian freedom, the freedom that Jesus comes to bring, it is that freedom that comes from living in a space and creating a space within our souls where we understand and we've come to the place where we have nothing to gain, nothing to lose, and nothing to prove. It's kind of like where St. Paul says in the book of Philippians. He says, listen, for me to live my life is Christ. And to die is gain. What Paul says here is, listen, if I, my life, my physical life were to pass from me and I were to physically die, Paul says, I consider that gain because I, I go to be with Christ. But if I'm going to live, then everything I do, breathe, am. It's all for Christ. It's all about Christ. And because it's about Christ, then I have nothing to fear. I have nothing to lose. I have nothing to gain. I have nothing to prove. I am secure in who I am in Christ. So let's, let's look at this from a couple of different ways. Let's look at this internal versus external idea of freedom. Because the fundamental mistake that we make, all of us, in the room. We make this mistake that our freedom comes from our externals. It comes from our circumstances. Again, if I just had this or if I just had that, 
As long as we have this sense of having greater or less freedom, as long as we believe that greater or less freedom actually depends on our circumstances, that actually means that we're not yet free at all. Because we're still bound to those things, whatever those things are. And we're missing the trueness of the freedom that Christ desires to bring. Because when we find freedom in Christ, even the most unfavorable outward circumstance, when we have freedom in Christ, the most unfavorable outward circumstance still cannot crush us. Okay, now that sounds glorious, does it not? The most unfavorable external circumstance comes against you and your life and to actually think that there might be a way through Christ that even that cannot crush us. But this stuff just doesn't happen overnight. There's a, there's a movement. There's a, there's a beauty and a flow and a, a space and a breathing in how this comes to pass. Check this out in 1 Corinthians. If you've never read this, this is so amazing to me. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And I just want to read this part where Paul, um, actually, 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and part of 12. Listen to what Paul says again. Um, St. Paul writes, now listen, five times I, Paul, received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. 39 lashes, that was of the law. It says, three times I was beaten with rods, once I got pelted with stones, three times I was literally shipwrecked. And I actually, one time I spent an, a night and an entire day stuck in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from the Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country. I've been in danger at sea. I've been in dangers from false believers. I've labored and I've toiled and I've often gone without sleep. I've known hunger, I've known thirst, and I've even had to go without food. I have been cold at times, and I have been naked. Therefore, he says some other things, and then he says, but now, when it all comes down to it, there's much still that I have going for me. There's much that I could boast about, but in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh. We don't actually know what that was, but Paul talks about a thorn in my flesh. A messenger from Satan to torment me, and three times I pleaded with God. I said, God, this circumstance, this external, it's awful, it's painful, please take it away. And God said to me, nope, my grace is sufficient for you. My grace, Paul, is going to be enough for you. I'm not taking it away. I'm not changing your circumstance. I'm not changing the external. My grace is going to be enough for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. There's, a, there's this definition of grace that, that you might have understood growing up, which uh, there's, there's much value to this. The, the idea of grace is it's unmerited favor. It's, it's the favor of God that shines upon us. You know, we, we ask people at times, you know, just extend me a little bit of grace. Extend me some grace. Like, I, maybe it's unmerited, maybe it's undeserved, but just give me a little bit of favor here. Just cut me a little bit of slack, please. And that's one definition for grace, and that's how Paul uses it sometimes. In this passage, my grace is sufficient for you. The other definition for grace in the scripture that Paul uses is the empowering presence of God in me 
to be and to do everything God has called me to be or to do. And so what Paul, what God is saying here to Paul is he's saying, my grace, my empowering presence in you is enough to empower you through the Spirit to be everything you need to be and to do everything I've called you to do. My grace is enough. So my circumstances, the externals, they could be total crap, but what Christ would say is, but my empowering presence, my spirit, it's enough for you. It's enough because I promise to walk with you through this, even if I don't change the circumstance. And I would suggest that as the Holy Spirit begins to breathe on this, as we begin to tap into and recognize the grace of Christ, that there's this freedom, this inner space where we allow this, this freedom to breathe that even though now things come against us internally or externally, it doesn't crush us because in all things God's grace is sufficient. In all things God's grace is present. I would also suggest that this doesn't happen apart from grace because really everything in life is grace. Everything in life and how we walk through life, all is grace. Everything that God has done and is doing, it's because of God's grace. Now the desire for freedom, it manifests itself. And it comes in these ways where we desire oftentimes to overcome, maybe in our own lives we want to overcome limitations. You know, oh, again, let's go back to that idea. If only this changed then I would, and you fill in the blank. If only I had this job, then. If only, let's go back to the boss, this boss was gone, then. If only my kids would behave, then I'd be the best parent ever. That one's probably true. But, you know, there, there are, you know, if only what? And what is your if only? What is our with onlys, if onlys, that are, are keeping us bound up? <laughs> if only that person wasn't around, then I would feel more free. Like that, having that person around feels like I'm just carrying around a weight all the time. And I get that. But what if the real problem isn't that person? What if the real problem isn't that job? What if the real problem isn't that boss? What if the real problem is inside of here? What if the real lack of freedom Lack of life. What if the real soul-crushing stuff is coming from in here? And with that being said, let's call it like it is. Sometimes there are oppressive situations that need to be fixed. Okay, sometimes there are uh, things in the way that need to change. But I think our lack of freedom more often than not comes from a, a heart that is imprisoned by fear, by selfishness, by envy, by ultimately a lack of love. And I want to suggest to you that that's, that's what the Holy Spirit wants to do. That's what the Holy Spirit, I believe, is doing. I, I, I think that, that that idea tonight of freedom reigns in this place. You know, showers of mercy and grace. Like, that's really what I need more of. And I don't really need so much for the Holy Spirit to eliminate people. And you understand when I say eliminate, I just mean move them like, from my life. I don't mean eliminate. Through grace. So my, my life example would be this issue 
of comparing myself to others. Like, so it turns out that one of my, uh, I don't, how would I say that? One of my um, pet sins is envy. That's, that's what mine is. And, um, and we all have them. We all have, we all have our things. But envy seems to be this thing that I've struggled with forever and ever in a day. And envy comes in the way of comparing yourself to others. That's, that's ultimately how, you know, and, and you know, uh, why, do they, why do they have that? Or God, why, why did you bless them with that and not me? Or God, why, you know, how come? So when you do this, what you find is that it's, it's the person, whoever you're comparing yourself to, the envy, they become the thorn, so to speak. And you all of a sudden start thinking things, and this, this could literally take years, but you'll get there if, if you continue to go down this path. Just trust me, I know. Eventually, that person becomes your obstacle, and your thought life goes towards, you know what? If they weren't around, if they weren't in my life, then I would feel so much more free. And then, here's the craziest thing. One day they're not in your life anymore. One day you're, they're not in your life. But what happened along the way is you never dealt with your own stuff. You never dealt with your own issues of envy. You never dealt with your own issues of comparing yourself to others and wishing that you had more or wishing that you had their sh shoes or whatever it might be. And what happens is now they are gone, but you never dealt with it. So in your new circle, whatever your new circle is, Lo and behold, do you not know that someone's going to arrive at some point who's going to fill their shoes? Someone new to envy. Someone new to compare yourself to. Someone new to stack, not stack up against. Or someone new to be like, well, God, how come? And so you were never really free. They just, you just changed players on the chessboard. What might real freedom look like? Uh, there's this woman by the name of Eddie Hillisum. Eddie Hillisum. She was a Jewish woman who died in Auschwitz in 1943. And when, after she died, uh, she had kept her diaries. It's kind of like an Anne Frank thing. But she had kept her diaries. And in 1981, they published her diary. And her diary was entitled, or the book was entitled, Interrupted Life. Interrupted Life. I think that's because she had a life and that it got interrupted by Auschwitz. Listen to what she says. The barbed wire is more a question of attitude. Us? Behind barbed wire? An old gentleman said with a melancholy wave of his hand. They are the ones who live behind the barbed wire. As he pointed to the tall villas that stand like sentries on the other side of the fence. She says, if you have a rich interior life, then I would say that there really isn't that much difference between the inside and the outside of the prison camp. For real? Like, how, how is that possible? And, and you know, we... We hear these stories, don't, don't we, of, of people who, uh, and we hear them often from the, from the concentration camps of, of people who, who found that place, they found that space where they decided that even if the Germans kill me, 
They won't, they won't crush me. I think that's what Eddie Phillipson is saying here. The barbed wire, who's behind the fence? Because here I'm free. In 1 Corinthians 13, Paul says this. He says, listen, now, when it comes down to it, we are left with faith, hope, and love. He says, but even in these, the greatest, the greatest one is love. There's this idea, there's this, there's this freedom that resides in the possibility of us being trust, trusting people, filled with faith who trust God, who hope in all things, and who learn to love. And this is developed, once again, by and through the Holy Spirit. And when these things, faith, hope, and love, trust, hope, and love, are rooted firmly within us, what we do is we begin to draw from them in the middle of the difficult circumstances, in the middle of the externals. We draw from this faith, this hope, this love. Therefore, if someone were seeking to literally hurt you, they're trying to hurt you. They're trying to steal from you. They're, they're whatever it is, they're, they're, they're preventing you. They're trying to prevent you from believing in some way, shape, or form. You always, within your own ability, retain the ability and retain the option of forgiving them, therefore transforming that situation of oppression into a situation of greater love. That's your choice. That's by the grace of God. Someone comes to hurt you, you have the option of pressing into the Holy Spirit that says, Great faith, hope, and love, come. You may trust me. Extend forgiveness. Transform this situation. This situation doesn't have to control you. This situation doesn't have to dictate your life. This situation doesn't have to dictate your feelings. But by grace, we can experience something different. And so this... It's how I would express it when it comes to choice and freedom of choice. Because in our society, and this is how we'll move in the next couple of weeks, in our society, we think oftentimes, and maybe in our own lives, that true freedom comes from choices. No more choices I have, the more free I am. Give me ample choices and let me choose whatever I want, and that is what will make me free. But there's, there's, a, there's a, a thing to this that... This does not ring true. Think about, for instance, Eddie. She had no choice about the camp, and yet she found herself free. In your own life, right now, some of uh, some of you in the room are 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 um, taking care of your elderly parents, and as your parents become elderly, what's happening? A lot of times, their choices are being taken away from them. I mean, there's a couple of folks in our church right now who are having to make very difficult decisions with and for their parents. Parents are, are being forced into the, they don't, you don't have the same options that you once had. So what, does that mean that we're losing our freedom? Is that where freedom really comes? Does freedom come in the amount of choices we have? Or, or I would say no. I would say that actually the, the paradoxical law when it comes to freedom, is that one cannot really be free unless they accept the fact that they're not always free <laughs> when it comes to making choices and these kinds of things. But maybe we become free by achieving an interior life, participating with the grace of God. And how might that work? Here are three ways forward that, could, that I think that we have options on. Number one, when something happens to us, let's say it's suffering or let's say that 
it's something on the job, we, we can respond with rebellion. We can choose to not accept the situation. We can choose to rebel against the situation. In some cases, we can choose to rebel against God. And when I talk about rebellion here, I'm, I'm talking about we can reject the reality of the situation. I don't know if you've ever done that. Um, I've, I've done that before. You know, like, ah, I just don't accept it. I just, it, it's not, you know, and what we end up doing is we add to the difficulty. And oftentimes when we rebel in this way, we, we, we add to the despair. It leads ultimately to, to potential violence, whether it's in word or in, in action. It leads to resentment. And oftentimes it leads us to a place where the next choice would be we just, we just resign ourselves to it. To resign ourselves to something is, is a little bit different than rebellion. It's a little bit better, but at the same time, to resign yourself to something is simply to say, well, I can't change the situation. The situation, it is what it is. And, and so whatever, I, I just, I'll resign myself to it. It leads to apathy, and it leads to hopelessness. But I think there's a third option. There's rebellion, there's resignation, but there's also a third, and that would be to consent, to train ourselves to find out when consenting is the right time. Because the ultimate attitude, I would suggest, is that we would learn to consent to the things in our lives. Now, I, I, don't, want, I don't want you to come up to me after and say, you know, I just, there's this thing in my life, and I don't think it's supposed to be this way, but I, I, don't, I feel like I need to rebel against it, but you're telling me not to. No, sometimes I think things come against us, and things come our way, and we recognize something in the, in the spirit that, wait, this is not right. This is, this is not the right situation. We must work for positive change in this. That, that's, that's not what we're talking about here, though. We're talking about those things that we have no power over at times. To consent would be to say yes to the reality that we originally saw as negative because we realized that something positive might arise from it. And the difference between resigning ourselves to something and consenting to something is that we don't lose hope. It's all about the attitude of the heart, to consent to something. It's the attitude of the heart that says, I see this for what it is, and I will now turn myself towards this and towards the Holy Spirit and towards God, and I will allow God, even in this, this situation that I do not like, this suffering that, that this person is going through and it's affecting me, they're sick, they're ill, I don't see them being healed or, or, or this job, the way it's working, and, and I don't see it changing, but I give myself to the situation in faith, in hope, in God, confident towards God, confident towards God's love, confident towards God's mercy, confident towards God's faith, resting assured that God's grace is present and that even in this beauty, can be and is to be found. See, true freedom, freedom from comparing ourselves to others, freedom to actually love yourself, freedom to accept yourself, freedom to suffer well, it comes from a space inside. No one can give this to you from the outside. No one. No one can give you the freedom from the outside to accept yourself can't be done. No one from the outside can give you the freedom to suffer well. 
that comes from what God is doing on the inside. The question is, are we paying attention and are we nurturing what it is that God is building and doing on the inside? True freedom comes not from being the master of my own fate. It comes not from being the captain of my own soul, but true freedom comes in this place where we recognize and we begin to truly, we, we surrender all of these things to Christ. And, you know, if we've come to Christ, we've come to a place where we were, we were probably taught somewhere along the way, surrender your whole life to Christ. Yeah, right, that's good. I've never met anyone who actually was able or even knew what that meant at the time. Surrendering, surrendering one's whole life to Christ is a daily kind of thing because tomorrow there might be something in my life that I realize I need to surrender to Christ that I had no idea today that I hadn't surrendered to Christ. So how can you surrender everything to Christ? I, I think the way we do that is I verbalize Christ, my whole life is yours. And then tomorrow Christ says, oh, did you mean this too? And I was like, oh, no, I, for, I had forgotten about that. That's not yours, not yours, mine. I'll keep that in mind. So today, last story, today, I got a text message. And it really, it was one of these kinds of things where it just really messed me up. It was one of those, I got the text and I read it, and my, the air just got sucked out of my sails. Felt like my soul was just... And I felt weighed down. And my first thought, of course, was, man, if I wouldn't have, if they wouldn't have done that, and if I wouldn't have gotten this text, then everything would be fine. My second thought was, how might I develop an interior life where I can receive the text, I can experience what they've done, and I can still be free. Free to be bummed out. To be bummed out is okay, but to not lose the day. To not lose tonight's sleep because my soul feels just crushed. Or because the wind has been taken out of my sail. How do, how do, and I believe, and actually, I think that that thought is the first step towards what we're talking about. It's moving in line with the Holy Spirit and saying, okay. This simply says to me that there is work that the Spirit of God desires to do here. And I'm looking forward to that work. Because you know what? I want to be free. I want to be free. I want to be able to take someone's criticism, apply it to my life where it might need to be applied, but say, in the grand scheme of things, I have nothing to prove, I have nothing to gain, I have nothing to lose. I can take that. I can glean from it what I need to, but it doesn't take the wind out of my sails. It doesn't crush my soul, whatever it might be, or however that might go. My boss doesn't get to determine my attitude tomorrow. My illness doesn't get to determine how I proceed over the next couple of weeks. How much people like me doesn't get to determine how well I feel or how good I feel about myself because these things have been determined by Christ in me. May we grow in faith, hope, and love as we pursue the Spirit and experience more of grace, the empowering presence of God in you 
to be what God's called you to be and to do what God has called you to